Oh, All right. I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe I we believe are good. That we will win. I believe that we will record a podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Tukey's Take. The band is back together. I am joined here alongside my fine co-host, one Mr. Endo Mills. Hi, Mom. Back from the dead. Hi, Mom. Uh, this is the first <laughs> official podcast where we're all, th- all three of us are officially here. It's about time. Sorry I died last week. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the the new voice as well. The the newest voice. Not that Endo's still a new voice in his own way. Uh, one Mr. Sin for the Win Productions, as we all affectionately call him, Sin. Uh, is here again as well. The three-man booth is in full effect because, well, hey, let's be honest. In terms of a a three-man booth, it's kind of a great way to go for a sports podcast. I, you know, you, you can't mess with a good formula. Triple threat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Triple threat. Oh man, that makes me want to play two K now. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got a lot to cover here. Uh, the NHL season is here, which I've been excited about. The uh, We'll get to it later, but the production on ESPN was incredible. And I mean, how can you not be hyped for this this year? I mean, so many things have kind of uh, sort of come together to make this year what it is after all the BS we've suffered through the last two years. So I'm hyped. So again, we will get down to business here relatively early on with this show, but we do have to kick things off by mentioning, of course, the lovely sponsor of this show who has been with us through thick and thin and are still on board. It is our friends at Manscaped, of course. Manscaped.com. Use code Doogie for 20% off your order. Free worldwide shipping. Pick up a variety of top-notch products, I would say, for your product. But that, I don't know if that's a great transition. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey. The great thing about Manscaped is they allow you the creative freedom to say, hey, get your point across in your way. We don't want you to sound robotic or monotone about it. And I don't think at any point in the history of this show (laughs) it has ever been robotic or monotone. Again, a variety of fantastic products. The feature product right now, the Performance Package 4.0. Get yourself the lawnmower for... You know what what you would expect when we call it you know, when they call it a lawnmower. Uh, you got the weed whacker for those pesky nose hairs, and then of course it comes with the fantastic ball deodorant and ball toner because you didn't know you needed it, but now you do. Manscaped.com. Use code Tuggy, and we thank you very much for that, gentlemen. Before we get into a variety of hockey topics today, we do have some viewer questions. This is one thing that I will. I will hopefully never see depart from this podcast. We love interacting with you guys, even when we have incredibly stupid questions like this one. (laughs) Uh, And this one comes from noted Australian troll, one Mr. Dark Void uh, of Twitch fame, who asked the question because, of course, he is. And, of course, he did. Of course, he is asking a question in regards to anything involving Australia because that's, that's the only bit of his identity. That he has, I guess. I want to know what your favorite Australian animal is, and why is it between a platypus or a, quote, combat wombat? Now, honestly, is anyone's favorite animal a platypus? It might be. But at the end of the day, that's a lazy choice. 
You know what you go for? You know what you go for? The top Australian animal? It's a numbat. You know why it's a numbat? Because it sounds like a Pokemon. It's not a bat. It's a marsupial. The numbat. The number one animal in Australia. Save the numbat. I believe it's still endangered. But, yeah. They're, they're just like crazy striped squirrels, and they're hilarious. The numbat is my choice. Oh, man. I think I'm going to go with not even an animal, just because Australia is like a home for like every single insect or spider and all the man. Just, just all the spiders like at once. Those are those are like those are like my favorite, but my 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 hated favorite. Like you can you can hate something but love at the same time, and like the the thought of Jenny, yeah, the thought of <laughs> anyone in a toxic relationship out there right now is nodding furiously. Yeah, mm-hmm. Look, you listen to the podcast with your significant other. You're looking over like, yeah, mm-hmm. oh god, <laughs> I know, I <laughs> like um. Definitely, like any spider, I, I I hate spiders, but at the same time I like spiders. It's weird. I I had like slight arachnophobia as a kid, but I I kind of cured it. But this just a whole herd of spiders just running towards you, and like put some like royalty free uh, scary music in the background, like <laughs> just going and you're, you're you're yeah, that's my favorite. So, Johnny, what was your favorite episode of the Tookie State Podcast? I like the one where Endo talked about spiders for a long time. <laughs> you called him a herd of spiders. That's that's the best part about that, a herd of spiders. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I got to I gotta go with the emu for the sole purpose of the fact that they are undefeated in war. And, I mean, you, you, you got to go with a winner. And the emus are clearly winners. They're, they got attitude. They uh, clearly don't give up, and uh, I mean, if you become a meme, you're worthy of being the best uh, Australian animal in my book, so it's got to be the emus. <laughs> Top of the Australian food chain, not the humans, the emus. <laughs> the emus. Still there. <laughs> oh, this next question comes from another uh, noted follower on Twitch, of course. His name is Ender. And I cannot believe it took this long for somebody to ask a question in regards to this because we have already hit the point of people being, you know, wanting to say, okay, enough. We've had enough. It's too much. Let it go away. Ender's question, have any of you watched Squid Game? Oh, my God. Uh, I have watched enough social media and enough, like, my timeline being filled with it to see that thing at least two or three times. I, I want to watch it, but now like I'm just kind of sick and tired of seeing it, and I just don't want to touch it at all. Maybe like a month from now when it dies down and I pick up another thing off of off of Netflix to pump like crazy, I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a look. Uh, but, but but until then, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of squitted out from seeing it. I don't know. I haven't even watched Tiger whatever Tiger King, Tiger King? whatever that. Oh, Tiger King yeah, I, last year. I didn't even watch that shit. So. Um, no, I haven't watched any Squid Game, but it's kind of becoming like I already know all the memes and what they mean, and I haven't watched an episode of it. And I was yeah. kind of for so long how I was with The Office. I kind of knew what all the memes meant without having even watched the series. Mm. But yeah, I just, I mean, for me, it's just like at this point with all this stuff, you know, NHL 22 come out, everything else going on. It's like I don't even have time to start a new series. I got so much on the backlog that's like, yeah, and 
like Endo said, with everything I've seen already on social media, it's like I don't even want to watch it right now. It's just overwhelming. Yeah, I've seen. I watched it. Go ahead. Oh, Endo. sorry. I said uh, I've seen enough memes and everything like to, to get it. And all I know is that I saw like people were. You know, usually it's like for different media like outside of like north america it's usually subtitles or subtitled or it's a trend or it's a, not translated but it's like dubbed apparently the mm -hmm. dub is so bad and the, even like the subtitle is even worse because it's not giving full context of certain things like i don't know it's 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 apparently it's 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 good it's a great great thing but apparently that's messed up about it Unfortunately, you might lose some yeah. of the original meaning through that but you know it didn't ruin the show for me. I watched it a couple weeks ago before it really kind of hit the height of, like, it, it, it you know, it, it, it peaked, right? Like, and very quickly, a show like that, it's very similar to, uh, like, a Fall Guys and how popular that was oh, yeah. during the pandemic or a Tiger King, as Sin mentioned. It's like, okay, it's a talk, it's a talk, and then very, very quickly... You hit that, you hit that peak, and then bam, straight down. Most people don't want to hear about it anymore. It's over and done with. Will it be one of those shows? And there have been a few shows like that that have kind of done that, but at the same time, the interest kind of persists. I, I think of it as like a Game of Thrones comparison, where most people who ha who didn't even watch it still get some of the references. But it's one of those things where okay, without the memes. Could you watch Game of Thrones, I'd say before it ended, uh, but could you, you know, jump on board in season six, know some things are coming and still enjoy it? Sure. Uh, with some of the memes and spoilers out there about Squid Game, would it be the same thing? I don't know at this point. It was, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. I, uh, I don't regret watching it. It's not the best thing I, I've ever watched in the world, but uh, yeah, it was good. I'm, I'm very surprised, right, that this, of, of all things, was what kind of took off. But that's kind of happened a lot yeah. recently, I think, in media, whether it be uh, certain video games. I mean, again, like who would have thought like a Fall Guys would become like the number one thing for a, a short amount of time. Um, Among Us as well is kind of in that same category where it's like that was a year ago. That was the big. It's still huge. Yeah. But think about just like that was everywhere. Squid Game comparisons there. And Among Us, not the greatest thing in the world. I don't regret the time that I, you know, spent playing the game. So... I think that covers any uh, <laughs> conversation, <laughs> finally. Again, I'm shocked nobody asked about it sooner. Um, and the final bit here, it's a, it's a way to transition us into uh, our hockey talk for today. This question comes from Hawks. Uh, for, all the, for all the hosts, besides your favorite hockey team, do you root for any other teams in the NHL? So essentially, do we have second teams? Sin, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, I mean, I have a few that I kind of... I kind of pull for, and there's a variety of reasons that I pull for uh, sort of each of them. One, one of them uh, in the East has got to be the Devils. Um, kind of always had a soft spot for the Devils, um, mainly because one of my friends growing up was a Devils fan. So they've kind of always been like a team that I kind of, you know, want to pull for and stuff like that and, you know, kind of try to keep up with them. Uh, another team, uh, the Avalanche. Again, soft spot for them mainly because Peter Forsberg is my favorite player of all time. I think he was such an incredible talent and he did stuff at a, at a time in the league where you weren't supposed to score a lot and he was just able to find ways to do stuff. Unfortunately, he had a shorter career because of injury because of how physical the game was and how physical he had to be, but 
yeah, I'd say those are those are two of the the kind of main teams outside the Sharks that I you know kind of pull for. And up, yeah. Um, uh, primarily mostly a Leaf guy, as you can tell, and from my rants on the show about cross comparisons. <laughs> um, honestly, I think I've mostly been like a Leaf or Oilers. Like I'm a big Edmonton Oilers guy, mostly because of uh, Grant Fuhr and the stuff that he did when he was playing with them. Uh, definitely a big inspiration uh, for me as a goaltender. It's uh, myself. Uh, it would, I would say them, uh, Edmonton, mostly because obviously the great one, Wayne Gretzky, and. I'm trying to think of another team I remember liking growing up. I think it might just be Edmonton. Like, yeah, there have been some flashes where I saw, oh, I go, hey, I like this team, I like that team. But I'm kind of like that one that one guy where when my team gets knocked out, I'm just kind of sitting back going, I just want everyone to have a good time. Just, you know, just have fun. You know, don't don't hurt each other too hard. Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's just me. Fair enough. Uh, and for me, I mean, you know, I, I've had a soft spot for certain teams uh, along, you know, throughout the years. I mean, sometimes it's it's more, I guess, temporary, I would say. Like, you know, you look back to like certain cup runs and it's like, oh, I was rooting for that team to be able to to be able to win. Like, uh, I'll apologize to Sin in advance, but like 2007, it's like, oh, Tamus Solani's on the Ducks. Sorry to the Sens, but I'm, I'm rooting for the Ducks at this point in time. And I feel like Sin can understand that yeah. for the Solani comparison in particular. Um, my real second team, though, at, at this stage, I mean, aside from the fact that I'm all aboard with the Seattle Kraken, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, typically, and I mean, it's it's for it's for one reason in particular, and it's it's for those watching on the video side of things, uh, pointing to my Ray Bork Avalanche jersey. I mean, not that for the same reasons that Sin mentioned, like you know, hey, early two thousands, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, that team was just yeah ungodly between Sackick, Forsberg, Tangay, Hayduke, Rob Blake, Adam Foot, Patrick, it's just it's ridiculous. And then Ray Bork gets traded there, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and I will shout out the, the, yeah, well, okay, cool, as in like, oh, that's disappointing, but like, okay, cool, they're definitely going to win a cup now. Yeah. And even then, New Jersey, uh, New Jersey almost stopped them. And that uh, that would have sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> no, as you say that, too, I, I guess I do kind of have a feeling like a little like soft spot for uh, Colorado because they've been like a decent competitive team for a little while now. And they've been inching closer and closer and closer to getting to the cusp of being in the in the final and everything, especially um, last year when they got not last year, the year before that, when they got really, really close. Uh, I like. I think it's every year. It could be a year for them, especially with guys taking really, really team friendly deals, and just just a really well built dynamic group over there. They can make ECHLers. No offense to Frank, the France Sue. Uh, they can make ECHLers come up and look like absolute studs. Fair enough. Shots at awful friends. And a lot of people are already bringing that up in the first couple, of, or at least the first crack in the game. Like, ah, Grubauer is getting exposed as you got carried by Colorado. I'm like, relax. It's one game, people. Like, <laughs> yeah, like they looked like crap the entire team in the first half of that game. Relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with that, again, we will uh, thank everybody for their questions. Again, at Tookie24 on Twitter. Always put up a thread before um every a podcast to get your questions you can also join the discord there is a podcast questions section uh that we always refer to as well before every show boys with that let's uh let's get into what's happened through the first three days it's only been three days of the nhl season but man is there a lot to talk about and the order of this is a little bit tough to go by but let's go off of what is 
uh, the biggest story in the hockey world after just three days, although Endo's got something for us, I can tell. Okay, so I've been, a, I've been away, so I have to catch up on a lot of stuff. Uh, but the one thing I did say before the podcast was that I had something like a little prop, because we have a lot of stuff. So if you're at home, if you're just chilling and you have nothing with you right now, take the, pause the podcast for like a good minute. Go get a snack or something like that, because you're going to be for a long run. I decided to get popcorn. Uh, from my local delivery app because I know I'm going to need it because it's going to be very interesting. Hold on. I can't get the thing. Visual listeners are going to love this. There we go. Perfect. Freshly popped from my local Cineplex from a food delivery app that because you do not sponsor us, I will not mention. There you go. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. So you well, got movie theater popcorn delivered to you. Yes, I did. That's got to be about 15 bucks of popcorn right there. Okay, so I got popcorn. Oh, hold on, <laughs> hold on. I got popcorn. I got a drink as well. I got, a drink, oh, no. I got soda. And then I also, because it was buy one, get one free, I got two hot dogs as well. So I spent like $15 total, including the delivery and everything. Oh, wow. Really that's good. actually not too bad then. You got hot movie theater hot dogs? I feel like yeah. those should cost like 10 bucks each. Is that only in America where the movie theaters charge you like an arm and a leg for for snacks? Oh, it was terrible hot dogs. Terrible hot dogs. It was like, oh, okay. They were like jumbo, but like plasticky jumbo. So it was oh, like 7-Eleven like yeah. hot dogs, yeah. Yeah, it was like a Wumbo hot dog. It was disgusting. <laughs> hey, it was worth it, though. Two four? <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> so, so Dylan Larkin was suspended. <laughs> Perfect segue. This is why I got okay, the popcorn. Oh. Let's go. Oh, God. All right. So, again, we've only had three days or three nights worth of action so far in the NHL. This is, without a doubt, the biggest story because it uh, it took a turn here in the hours before we decided to record the podcast today. I will talk quickly about the game itself between the Lightning and the Detroit Red Wings, which was pretty uh, pretty outrageous is the best way to describe it. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi had a four-goal game in the season opener, which is outrageous. I mean, you talk about someone people are, you know, people were discussing, oh, is this him uh, really trying to make a good impression after being a bit of a headache in the offseason? And yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi has a lot of a lot of pressure on his shoulders to perform at a very, very high level this season, uh, particularly whenever that team heads north of the border. The game itself... Um, as Endo will and has been laughing about for nearly 24 hours now. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings were up six to three with six and a half minutes to go in the third period. The final score of the game was seven to six as the Tampa Bay Lightning won it in overtime. That is an incredible collapse from the Red Wings. But beyond Bertuzzi scoring four goals, beyond Detroit uh, giving up three goals in six and a half minutes, less than that technically, and then losing in overtime, uh, there was the incident between Matthew Joseph and Dylan Larkin. Now, obviously here for a podcast, it is very difficult to sit here and say, hey, here's the hit itself, but I'm sure anybody listening to this has indeed seen the hit. My take on it is that Matthew Joseph uh, very early on made up his mind that he was going to hit Dylan Larkin. Yeah. That was his play. It wasn't to play the puck, it was to play the body. So, for that reason, Matthew Joseph is at fault, because I think if you look at the play, there was never really going to be a great outcome in terms of playing the body in that situation, but you were halfway through the game at the time, 
down by two goals, obviously you're going to see more physical play from the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially someone like Matthew Joseph, uh, who, you know, I mean, is stepping into a bigger role this season after the departure of certain players. The hit, at least the contact and the outcome of it, was made a little bit worse by the fact that Dylan Larkin tried to pivot to protect the puck just shy of the boards. So, I can agree with both of those takes. The hit itself was a little bit worse because of Larkin pivoting, but that does not mean that there is no infraction by Joseph, who made up his mind very early on to initiate contact. Joseph hits Larkin. Larkin goes essentially face first into the boards. Larkin gets up and essentially sucker punches Matthew Joseph in the face. It might as well. It was close to a wrestling style clothesline yeah. as much as it was a punch. That results in this melee is the best way to describe it. And the end result is that you have Dylan Larkin getting a 10-minute misconduct for the punch. Uh, Matthew Joseph and Jan Ruda uh, also end up with two-minute roughing minors. And, of course, as mentioned, um, you know, again, Tampa goes on to win this game with Dylan Larkin out of it, who had scored uh, the first goal of the game, I do believe, for the Red Wings in the first period. So, my take on this now, or at least before we even talk about what has happened today, do either of you have thoughts on the hit itself and the uh, the scrum that happened afterwards, I think is the best way to describe it. Definitely on the hit. Um, I kind of agree. The hit itself wasn't egregious, but it was numbers almost the whole way. So, I mean, you have to kind of understand in that situation, like what you're doing. Like, yeah, you could maybe hit him when his stomach's against the board, but the fact is he's probably going to try to play the puck. You take a risk making that sort of a hit. So, therefore... Yeah, it's a bad hit. Maybe the player puts himself a little bit in a vulnerable position, but it's also kind of his right to play the puck right there. I don't know this whole weird old school mentality of like, fuck, watch over your shoulder at all time. Don't play a puck against the boards or someone has the right to like, you know, nearly paralyze you. But so I think the league, two ways they could have handled it. Again, I don't think the hit was maybe necessarily suspension worthy as another hit that, you know, we saw that we're going to get to. But it's either got to be in a game during gameplay or one game suspension afterwards. You can't allow people to get away, I think, scot-free with that sort of a thing. You're trying to get rid of those sort of dangerous plays. Now, it might not have been a hard hit. You know, it was... Nope. Nope. I definitely Sin, we'll give, you, we'll give you a second here, buddy. You're going a little bit robotic on us. We'll see if that clears up. you got to love the Discord issues there. And uh, in the meantime, then, yep, still clearing up. And then we'll turn it over to you for a minute while Sin's internet figures out what the hell it's doing. Okay. What do you got for us? Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to go off of what Robotic Sin said. And <laughs> I agree with um, with the hit being kind of egregious in a way. I think that it was a bad play. I don't think he wanted to intend to do that, but he was gonna. He, he knew he was gonna hit him, but I don't think he wanted that in result. Then again, that's that's hockey. That's what happens. Sometimes you try to make a play and it turns out the wrong way. I think Larkin freaking out on uh, Joseph with the clothesline punch, a little egregious. I think so, but then again, there is Larkin's history of coming back off of an injury last season. With I believe he had a neck-related injury at the end of the season last year, and coming back. And basically being upset that that could have been the same thing happening again. Because when that, when something happens to you and you get injured a certain way and something kind of replicates it, it kind of triggers something in your brain, like like a, like a, like a fight or flight kind of situation. And he yeah. 
Cho chose uh, fight, um, like, <laughs> and just went after him. Um, I think both parties are in the wrong. I am surprised with the certain outcome that we're going to talk about. Uh, and I don't know. Then again, do you really expect better from the association at this point? Because they yeah. show that they've I been... Mean... Like, no, I mean, you're exactly right. I think my internet's finally figured itself out right there. But yeah, it's, mm -hmm. I mean, the sad part is we don't expect better. And I was kind of almost done with my point there. Basically, like, you you have to, you can't just punish one and not the other in that situation. Yeah, what they both did was wrong, but you're setting a stupid example. Like, that's, you know, a bad hit either way you talk about it. So yeah, it's either got to be five in the game or the one game suspension after the fact to let it go completely unpunished while punishing the guy who reacts to it is just such a bad look. But unfortunately, what we kind of expect from the DOPS at this point, which is a huge issue. I compared it to middle school or high school, where oftentimes it seems like uh, the person who fights back is the one that gets punished even more so because they're the ones that uh, got caught. Although, again, I don't know if in a professional sports league you want that comparison. Uh, to high school disciplinary decisions. Um, at, at the end of the day, the news is, of course, Dylan Larkin has been suspended. Uh, he had a hearing. There was nothing for Matthew Joseph. Uh, Larkin suspended one game uh, for roughing, which, again, my take on it is, is still the same. Like What Dylan Larkin did is worthy uh, of a suspension. He gets up, he sucker punches a guy. The argument, and I don't really know how many people are going to disagree with that. You did have some people saying, well, he only got up and did that because he was boarded without a without a penalty call on, on the ice. And you know what? I, I don't totally disagree with that. Um, I believe it was Detroit's coach. It's just like, oh, it feels like players have to police themselves sometimes and that type of attitude. I, I view this as another situation where the the officiating let this get out of hand. And oh, I don't think anybody's overly surprised by that. Is another Twitch follow just rolled in for me, so enjoy that. I don't know why that happens. For whatever reason, I still get alerts for Twitch follows, even when I'm not streaming. So every once in a while, yeah. I'll just be sitting here, and that audio will roll in. So shout out to T underscore Bodie for making the show. You did quite well for yourself. Congratulations. Yeah. And thank you for following on twitch.tv slash 2 24 um, Boys, any final thought? I mean, I feel like we're all kind of in the same boat here, yeah. right? In terms of in terms of this play, it, it's a failure uh, by the officiating within the game itself. And it's not a great look to have Larkin. I mean, again, if, if Matthew Joseph had gotten any call related to the hit, this really wouldn't be as much of a conversation. Nope. But he didn't, and only got called for roughing afterwards. It's mid-season form, if not playoff form, for the NHL, and it was only the third day of the season. Mm -hmm. I just want to add on to, uh, hey, Detroit, I mean, what you can take away from that game is at least your offense looks a lot better. Like, you can maybe try to outscore some of your mistakes. I mean, to get away from the hit and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just back to the game itself. Yeah, that's horrible to give that up. But, I mean, still a bright future. You're still able to score that much. And especially against a team like the Lightning. And, hell, I mean, just take away that positive from that game. I mean, that's all I can really say about that. Like, if, you know, when you're thinking of uh, 
any sort of franchise up and coming like that, you're going to need to be able to score goals. Defense is usually the last thing to improve. So at least this year, you got that going for you. And I'll say, too, um, with, the, with the Red Wings, I mean, you talk about the, the positive outlook for them. I mean, there's somewhat of a positive outlook for Tampa because they ended up winning, but the stat line that's there in the aftermath of the first two games of the Lightning season, the Tampa Bay Lightning gave up six goals just three times last year, which was a 56-game regular season. They have played two games and given up six goals in both of those games. Yeah. So far, so maybe a little bit of a uh, a double championship hangover to begin this season. It hasn't exactly been uh, the fastest start to any year there. But uh, I think needless to say, though, there will be uh, a little bit more intrigue the next time Detroit plays Tampa instead of people viewing it as just Tampa's going to steamroll mm-hmm. this team. So, hey, we'll, we'll see what happens in that particular game. But that... Uh, Was a surprising outcome. What wasn't a surprising outcome is the other suspension that we've already seen this season. And it is to Colorado's captain, Gabriel Landeskog. He has been suspended for two games for boarding Kirby Dock of the Chicago Blackhawks. And with this hit as well, it might not be fresh in the memory compared to what we've already seen. But, I mean, this was a a certainly uh, justified penalty as well. This was a situation where, again, Landeskog looked like he made up his mind pretty early on uh, to just blow this guy up instead of playing the puck. And in the play, he's almost reaching for the puck, realizes he's not going to get it, or not going to get it at that moment, but maybe could have continued on. Regardless, you could see in real time, he just makes the decision to destroy this guy. And I'd say rightfully so. A two-game suspension there, that's the type of hit where it wasn't necessary. You didn't really achieve your goal of, uh, you know, making the play that you wanted to make. I I can't disagree with this whatsoever. Oh, you said it right on the head right there. Um, there's You broke this down on stream as well, too, what everyone was asking your opinion on the hit, is he had enough time to make a judgment call and to not go in through with the hit. If you're down, if the guy's down like that, you don't go and fall through with the hit. There's certain play. They always say to finish your checks, but at that point, there's no re- there's no real reason to hit him there. He could have. He was, he was already down on the on the side of the ice uh, on the boards. He was already in that direction. He they could have just had the D man push up on him and then easy play. No one would have gotten hurt, and he wouldn't have gotten in the suspension. Yeah, and. I mean, at this point for, for Landeskog, I mean, it's not like, you know, Tom Wilson level of pattern, but he has had a few instances of bad hits like this where he, you know, could have sort of, you know, at least pulled up. I forget who what, uh, who was it on the Ducks that he absolutely just it was uh, a pretty brutal headshot. Was it? Was it Depre? Okay, yeah, it was really just kind of brutal so i mean yeah in this situation again it's like his judgment on those sort of situations just seems to be completely bad or he's you know his i don't know what it is but it's obviously not a good look especially as the captain of a team you're hurting your team by you know getting suspended like that and again that's a hit that you just can't really do like you know you guys said it really didn't achieve anything so Mm -hmm. i don't know they're gonna have to Sort of figure that out now, but I mean, at least we're not talking about Kadri uh, making a bad hit early on. <laughs> oh my god! So I mean, 
That, that certainly helps. I will say to Landeskog, that was kind of one of the talking points here, and I think one of the primary reactions that I had seen from people, particularly on Reddit or Twitter, and that won't be overly surprising, I think, to some people, but there is so often talk of players who are sneaky dirty is the, the best way I can think to explain it. Um, a primary example I will use, and I don't know if I necessarily agree uh, with this one in particular, but, uh, you know, shout out to Steve Dangle podcast here. You know, they'll always mention someone like Charlie McAvoy, who knows how to skirt the rules. And don't worry, we'll be talking about him a little bit later. Oh boy. Um, Landis Gog, you know, I, I think to the, the hockey world at large, maybe not viewed as the most dirty player in the world, but if you ask uh, rivals of the Colorado Avalanche their opinion on Gabriel Landeskog, you are not going to hear glowing reviews about uh, plays that he makes. I put him in that Jamie Benn category of, again, the general consensus around Jamie Benn, I feel like for the most part you hear a good player. You ask people whose favorite team plays the Dallas Stars often, you're not going to hear overwhelming reviews of yeah. Jamie Benn and how he plays the game. So... Uh, worth keeping an eye uh, on Landeskog moving forward, but as as kind of expected, I don't think there's any real disagreements about the suspension. Two games, though. Um, length on that. You in agreement with that? Because honestly, I don't. I don't mind that either. It's. Uh, I mean, it could be longer, uh, given the fact that he has on that borderline history, you know, type play. But I mean, again, it's it's the DOPS, and you know, if there's not a major injury to it, you know, they they often a lot of times judge on the result of things. And I think that's also came into what happened with the Larkin Joseph thing. The fact that he pops right back up and, you know, clotheslines a guy. Uh, I think that's a lot to do with them not even looking at the hit from him, but I don't know we can debate on whether or not it's right to, to, you know, assign punishment for the result. But I mean, it is what it is. I think two game it's, 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 it's pretty fair. Again, it's, it, it, it can be hard to judge for us as observers. I mean, I think he could have gotten three, four, but two games isn't isn't horrible yeah the way i see it is i'm looking back at the history of what he's uh, what he's had uh, been suspended for because according to sportsnet right here it says that he's been suspended three times in his career but he's not considered a repeat offender uh because his last incident was beyond 18 months ago the first one i'm surprised you didn't mention this as a bruins fan uh 2011 uh he had a legal check to the head on boston bruins forward brad marchand and then in 2016 2017 season he suspended three games for cross-checking of uh simon despre uh, i can't even pronounce it and i'm bilingual god i can't i hate that uh and he, he was then handed the four games in 2017 for a cross check to the head of matthew kachuk of the calgary flames so he does have a history per se but it wouldn't technically fall under the lines of being a repeat offender if yeah. it has any merit like in paper uh, but i do see them doing a two game uh three game at most i think um but yeah you can you clearly see he has a reputation as a as a reputation of it happening because it has happened three times now. And it's kind of interesting you mentioned Matthew Kachuk and Brad Marchand in there because those are two yeah. guys that get under the skin. So that kind of makes me wonder about, you know, where like how how into the game he gets. He can't really necessarily control his emotions too much. Again, that's just two incidences could be, you know, correlation does not equal causation. However, you know, that could be something to definitely keep an eye on for Landis Gog. So... Obviously, it's tough to remember a specific incident from 10 years ago, but while that conversation was going on, uh, and you can find it just by searching Landeskog Marchand on YouTube, um, 
Landeskog headshotted the hell out of Brad Marshall. Oh, what? <laughs> is, it, is it bad? Oh, yeah. Bad? I can't tell if this is the one from 2011 because the video is dated 2015, so it might have been a different situation, but Landeskog headshots the hell out of him. Brad Marshawn gets up and sucker punches him right in the mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. <laughs> I wonder if Marshawn was suspensioned a la Dylan Larkin. Uh, probably should have been. But, yeah, again, there's there's a history of this with uh, with Landeskog a little bit. If you want to talk about that sneaky, dirty type or someone who, you know, walks that fine line, Landeskog is there, according to a lot of people. Now, we'll move on again here. We have a couple other topics to get to. I mean, two really kind of bigger sections here and then just some other things that we could talk about here to wrap up the show but Sin mentioned this earlier with ESPN I kind of wanted to get your guys initial thoughts on ESPN or TNT for Endo it might be a little bit more difficult because he's the lone Canadian of the group but um, in terms of the success of this so far with the debut on TNT and of course the uh, return to ESPN uh, Gary Bettman noted that the debut broadcast on ESPN resulted in the highest cable ratings in league history for an opening night broadcast. And the uh, Golden Knights Kraken game averaged 782,000 viewers, peaking at over a million. It's the most watched opening night game in the late window on record in the second most watched uh, 6 p.m. Pacific game or later ever in the regular season. So, uh, needless to say, that to sum that up, uh, the, the hype was real. And interest was there uh, for this return. And we'll speak to ESPN first. Sin, the the one note that I kind of had for them, I enjoyed the broadcast. There was a mixed reaction that I saw on Twitter in regards to some of the new camera angles they were using. But for the most part, I don't really have any complaints about the broadcast presentation from them on night one. I loved it. I mean, there was probably some audio things going on with a couple of the hosts and stuff like in between periods, but I mean, that's a minor thing. I think they just weren't effing used to the amount of sound that would come out inside of building during a hockey game, perhaps. So, I mean, that Mm. probably kind of threw them off. I'm sure they'll adjust to that, get the things figured out production-wise. But yeah, I loved it. I know a lot of people didn't like the zip line or the drone, whatever it is, the drone cameras. I thought it was dope, but... You got I when when I look at when I was getting those angles, some people didn't like it. Oh, it's hard to follow the action. For me, it's like when it pulls back like that, my analytical mind kicks in. I'm seeing the way the team moves together as one. I'm seeing the forecheck develop. I'm seeing them fill in the gaps, and like that gets me freaking. <laughs> I was gonna say hard. I'm just gonna say it anyway. That gets me goddamn hard, man. It's <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so, but. If you're a casual viewer just tuning in like that, I can understand how it might be, um, you know, kind of a not detriment or not exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. A little bit jarring as a new viewer to try to keep up because, yeah, you can't really see the puck. The cameras may be moving uh, against the grain as to where the gameplay is headed. So, again, but that also might be something that the production can kind of catch up on and work that in in a way that can uh, retain those new viewers while also giving the angles that, you know, the guys, you know, people like us, you know, experienced hockey watchers really get to see that new angle of the game develop in real time. So, and again, I don't think it's, I think it's too early to kind of make a decision either way. I liked it. I think we're going to have to see more, allow people to adjust. And that goes for the production crew as well. So that's kind of what I'd love to see. But yeah, overall, I thought ESPN's production was brilliant. Really modern compared to NBC. Yeah, so what, and from what I've seen... Go ahead, I was going to say. No worries. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but from what I've seen, because I'm over here in Canada land, 
I could tell it was it was very well done. I saw some of the camera angles. I shared a bunch of it on Twitter. It reminded I hate to say comparison to a video game, but it reminded me of like a lot of that that weird like camera from like NHL 2K10, like where it's like just above it kind of you can kind of see bigger view and it goes more with it. If that makes any sense, uh, sorry to my mic, but uh, yeah. Also, their audio was equivalent to what my audio was on the podcast for the past two episodes. So, you know what? I, I, I know their pain. Trust me. Maybe they need to buy new microphones. Who knows? Now, as well with the TNT broadcast, I feel like there was a bit more positivity surrounding it, primarily because they really brought the feel of their NBA presentation to the NHL side of things. Specifically by having Charles Barkley be a gigantic part of the presentation, taking shots against Wayne Gretzky, and they got a lot of great feedback. My only real issue with them, and Endo kind of mentioned this, right? Or, yeah, it was, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the idea of like how loud um, a rink can be. I feel like TNT, I feel like TNT didn't exactly, didn't exactly. You know, no, because you had a couple moments uh, during that during that game where they were covering the Caps, and here's Wayne Gretzky in the corner of the screen, and he's talking, and the Caps score, and all you can hear is the sound of the Caps goal horn, and Wayne Gretzky going, "Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a great story," and, uh, and it's like, "What are you? What are you doing? Yeah. Cut Wayne off. Talk about the goal. Bring him back." But if that's the the biggest issue that you had. I feel like all in all, it's representative of a pretty good broadcast for them as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I need to check it out. I love when Barkley's involved simply because it's funny as hell to watch him talk about anything. Knowledgeable as hell, but man, he's just, he's just, you know. But yeah, I, I didn't even, yeah, I heard, I heard, hear all this stuff when I'm out of town. Like I'm looking at my Twitter feed now and then it's like, oh, Gretzky, maybe he needs some, you know, help on the mic and stuff. And, but I, yeah, I was just surprised. So I can't wait to check out a TNT broadcast. Yeah. If there's one thing as well that I noticed is, uh, Barkley had the pads on backwards because had, they had him in net and Gretzky was taking shots at him. Gretz puts his first shot top corn, top right. Beautiful. But <laughs> I think that the one thing as well is... Come they on, have a, Wayne. Yeah, they have, like a, <laughs> they have a unique experience where they're having the, the arguably the greatest that ever lace up the skates, Wayne Gretzky, interviewing players like just on the fly. When he was interviewing with Alex Ovechkin, you could tell that it was a different type of interview from what would usually be with like someone just down at the studio or whatever. It was a lot more methodical. It was a lot more well-pressed. I mean, Gretz was a little bit slower with what he was saying in comparison to everyone else and how they would speak, but I feel like it was just a different feeling. It was more like you're getting to know like more about the player and the aspects of it instead of just asking the same questions. Yeah, you you jumped in hard. Yeah, you, you you did you did good. It's like the same typical answers with the ums and the oohs and the like like, yeah. like ho- regular hockey pressers. It felt like something was completely different. Fair enough. In terms of other talking points, though, our last kind of big section before we could mention. Uh, random events that happened around the league. We have a couple of notable signings. And, boys, I wrote them down in a certain order, but I think we're almost going to go in reverse order in terms of importance here because we're going to save the last one as the the main event. So I want to start off by talking, though, of what's going to be viewed as the lesser of these four signings, but this was shocking. Absolutely shocking to me because in the season preview, we talked about this guy being prime trade bait for a team that is likely to be on the outs looking in come deadline day. 
Matthias Ekholm re-signs with Nashville. It's a four-year extension that kicks in next year at $6.25 million, so uh, a decent price, but... I mean, this was a guy that was rumored to get traded this past deadline, if not the deadline before that, and certainly viewed as someone whose time uh, in a Nashville jersey was ticking away, and instead they bring him back, and I mean, I rate the guy pretty damn highly, and it keeps him on a team, on this defense, next to the likes of Roman Yossi, which is obviously gigantic, and having those two kind of lead the way while hopefully guys like Alex Carrier, Phil Myers, and Dante Fabro start to really develop at an NHL level, you know, it, it sets us you know, it sets up this team rather well uh, on the blue line. They already have their goalie now uh, in UC Soros. It's just a matter of trying to navigate that cap situation that they've created up front, you know, when you have, God, what is it? It, uh, I believe it's $22 million between Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne on their top line uh, that was there, I think, last night against Seattle. If they can figure out that offensive, you know, kind of minefield that they've created for themselves, I think they're, you know, in a relatively decent spot. But I was very, very shocked by Ekholm staying. Yeah, that's a... I I feel like we have some... uh some spies from the predators organization just who listened to our podcast and they heard what you said and said, you know what? We're going to, we're going we're gonna to change that Katie with the Uno reverse card. Uh, definitely. I'm looking at his stuff right now and that's, it's a big shocker. Maybe they want to use him as a, a centerpiece to build around, not build around, but use him here and keep him around the mentor of those guys so they can develop and be better NHL players in the future. Stin is lagging. It's okay. There you go. You good? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of going back and forth. I'm looking at it. Who the heck knows? I don't know. In the afternoon, my internet gets weird. So we'll see. Anyway, but yeah, I I've I love Ekholm. I think he's extremely underrated as a defenseman and playing in the West, you know, as that. But I was a little shocked at this extension as well. <laughs> it's simply because of all the reasons. It's it's I mean, the money, sure, but like it's more of the fact that like what is Nashville trying to do? Are they already ch- Here's the weird thing about Nashville is like they went from competitors to not competitors, but I never really saw them make a lot of waves in the rebuilding department. Like no huge major draft picks. No, I'm like, I'm kind of I'm like, I don't know what Nashville's doing. And I'm kind of worried that they don't know what they're doing either, because you mentioned their top line, the 22 million before them. Honestly, that's a second line on any sort of contender team. So I don't know what Nashville thinks you're going to do, but. Seem once again to have that issue again of hey, we have this fantastic blue line, trouble scoring. There was another defender signed as well. This one shocking, but for a different reason. Ekholm was shocking because wow, they didn't trade him. Ryan Pollock staying with the New York Islanders is shocking because of the details of the contract. It is an eight year deal, a full eight year extension. At just $6.15 million for someone who is one of the biggest analytical darlings in the NHL. Like, if you are a believer in analytics, you more than likely have the opinion uh, that Ryan Pollock is uh, a number one defenseman in the NHL. And again, you could argue uh, maybe a, you know, a product of the environment with the Barry Trot system or whatnot, but... I mean, he goes from making $5 million 
to now just, uh, you know, a little over a million dollar raise when we're seeing some of these contracts that are handed out. <clears throat> Seth Jones, I mean, I feel like Ryan Pollock is what people think Seth Jones still is. Yep. Yeah. I, this is, I, man, you know, we have had some conversations about Lou Lamorello on Damn this show. I was just going to say, GM of the year, confirmed now. And we said on the last episode <laughs> he was going to win GM of the year, and he just might yeah. because of contracts like this. I don't know how it's, he did it. He can't keep getting away with it. How does he keep getting away with it? He is 78 years old, and still, you look at all these young whippersnappers in their 40s, and he's still out dueling all of them. It's ridiculous. It's insane. I love Pollock. And I, I had I looked up his age. I'm like, oh, maybe he's like, you know, closer to 30. Maybe the con. No, he's 27. 27. So he's what, 35, 36 when he comes off it. That's still. And by that time, the six million is going to look like a. A four. four yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> it's. It's insane. It's an incredible deal. And that just goes to show that Pollock actually wants to be there. And I, I'm happy for Owls fans in that way. You need guys who want to be there and want to play after that whole, you know, Tavares situation, everything that went down uh, in that way. But, yeah, I love it. You know, Lou Lamorello doing insane things. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know how. What it was? I, maybe he, like, secretly loves analytics but pretends. He's like, nah, I don't care. I'm an old, I'm old school. Put up some <laughs> points, you freaking flacker. And then he gets him to a six mil deal. He's like, yeah, we just got 100% war Pollock. Let's go. There you go. Yeah, I think that could be could be something he's keeping under a secret on the wraps. But uh, like you said, there's I, I like the trend now that a lot of guys are taking team friendly deals uh, because they want to build around that. And I think for a good while, a lot of players like the like the Mitchie Marns and the Matthews are taking big money. Some of them, some people say that they aren't really worth those money, uh, worth the amount of money that they're getting paid out. And I think we're going to be getting to a new trend where people are taking team-friendly deals because they know that not just one person is a, it can make a team. Look look at look at Edmonton. You have McDavid. Even McDavid on his own, he can't do it. Even him with Drysdale, they both just can't do it. So if they Hey, that's, that's Connor McDavid that is noted in practice. He's trying to get better at one-timers, which means he's going <laughs> to right. have an Ovechkin-style shot by Saturday. Because Connor McDavid just decides, oh, I need to make this part of my game better, and he's going to be clapping him in like a prime over. I tried to forget about that because I wanted to have a chance in the playoffs if we match up with them, you know? But, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, no more Thanks, North dude. Division, so you don't have to right. worry. Right, thank you. All right, I don't give a, I don't give a flying F. Mc, Let's be Mc, real. Mc, you probably aren't meeting in the Stanley Cup <laughs> Finals. But, yeah, I, I got to love it. Leafs fan appreciates team-friendly deals. Who'd have who'd guessed? Uh, appreciates or envies? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the that's real the question. <laughs> I Bottom line for the Islanders, too, it's it's just such a good situation around that team. Back-to-back conference finals appearances. You have one of your best players, if not your best player, taking a very team-friendly deal. They're moving into their new arena. Yes, they are on a massive road trip to begin the season while they finalize preparations for that arena. That wouldn't have been the case, I'm sure, had it not been for COVID, that arena would have been ready. Uh, But yeah, a lot of optimism right now for the New York Islanders. And then it brings us to... Uh, the one of the biggest pieces, probably the biggest piece of news yesterday until the Dylan Larkin incident happened, and that is that Brady Kachuk has signed. Sin and I said, oh yeah, maybe he'll sit out. Nope, of course not. Uh, he immediately signs with the New York Islanders, and did this 22-year-old get paid? 
Seven years at $8.2 million, essentially. It's a little bit more this year because it's prorated, but essentially the deal is $8.2 million uh, for the next seven years. A no-movement clause for the last three years of those deals. And honestly, I mean, is it an overpayment for what Brady Kachuk is? Yeah, at the moment, at least. It's similar to Nick Suzuki. You could say Nick Suzuki's worth the money a little bit more. I won't disagree with you on that. But essentially, it's the idea of the Ottawa Senators are paying a guy to be the guy. He's not the guy yet, so it could blow up in their face. But this is what you have to do. Like, you have to build this team around somebody like Brady Kachuk. It would be uh, a disaster, really, to not have him... Uh, be one of the faces of the franchise. I mean, you talk about if it wasn't for Brady Kachuk, who do they have? I mean, on defense, you have Thomas Shabbat. But if forward, I mean, you know, Tim Stutzel is probably their best bet in terms of someone to build around. I like Drake Batherson, but, you know, this is a guy that they couldn't afford to lose, that they couldn't afford to trade, probably for less value than he's worth because that's often how trades work out for young stars that are in kind of a contract dispute. I view it as a win for Ottawa, even if, yes, he's he's overpaid for the moment. But then again, their team, as soon as I talked about, they have like $30 million in cap space or some crap like yeah. that. It's ridiculous. So if there was any team that could afford to overpay one of their prospects like this to be better in the future, it is Ottawa. Endo, Sin, your takes. Yeah, they have 20 mil right now in the cap space to go. Um, I think it's really... Uh, I think it's... God, I don't even have the words to properly say it. Uh, so until I can formulate a proper sentence, uh, <laughs> Sin, go for it. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it's like, yeah, they, they have the cap space, but historically, ownership has never wanted to cough up the dough. Are they finally understanding that they're going to need to do it? Like, I don't. I think this is a not a great contract right now. It could be good. Um, I, I'm, I'm really worried on the analytical side about Brady Kachuk's finishing. Um, that's less of a product of the team and more of a personal stat for him. So he's going to have to start putting that puck in the net. All the other stuff he does is fantastic. But, yeah, it's a little, he's a little bit lower uh, on that side of things. But, yeah, I mean, you got to hold on to him. Um, with this in mind, I think Suzuki, his contract is definitely in, in, in better shape. But seven years, 8.2, he'll grow into it. He'll be good. And the, this is good to get him to this sort of contract now rather than, an eight, than giving him, like, maybe a bridge deal and then an eight-year later, simply because as more of a power forward type, the eight-year bridge deal when he's like 26 is going to look a lot worse because he might fall off a little bit sooner than you know a guy who doesn't do some of the things he does. So I think the long term right now is really good. Might even help keep Stutzel around because we know him and Brady Kachuk's relationship is fantastic. So we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Definitely. And to continue off of what I, what I finally remember what I was going to say, uh, this is definitely a contract where... The team has faith in him, and this is basically saying if you you're gonna get this money, if you you basically earn this money in a way, like you 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 have it in your in your pocket. Now go show why you held out and why you why you deserve this kind of money, kind of thing. Fair enough, and that brings us to the man of the last hour. contract <laughs> to talk about. As boy, if this wasn't a podcast and it was more of a live stream, you'd see me doing laps. Uh, around my office here. Um, what incredible news to wake up to today. When you talk about players, it's like, okay, they're not exactly worth it yet, but hey, they they probably will be in the future. That is not a concern here. Um, 
when you talk about, you know, someone like Ryan Pollock taking a team-friendly deal, uh, it, you know, it, it hurts a little bit. A little bit, right? Because there's almost a, oh, there is about a three, uh, over a $3 million difference between these two players, but in terms of the situation surrounding the team, it's a little bit different. Charlie McAvoy has re-signed with the Boston Bruins. Right at the beginning of the season, before they've even played, it's not going to be this dark cloud hanging over their head all season long. And to that, I say thank God, because this is already... One of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah. Bar none. There is not a team there is not a team in the league that would not benefit from having a Charlie McAvoy on their team. Uh, if not on their top pairing. Now you can sit there and argue like, oh, well, obviously it's unrealistic to say like a Charlie McAvoy and an Adam Fox to be on the same pair. But you get my point. It is uh, honestly ridiculous for anybody to try and downplay a Charlie McAvoy or an Adam Fox at this point. These guys are the guys at this point. They are here. They are legit. They are at the top of their craft. And, man, I I love this deal. I love this deal so much. And, I mean, you look at you know, the comparables. I mean, again, a full eight-year extension at $9.5 million per, which you can argue might be a little bit much. Uh, but at the end of the day... Um, that's that's the same money that Zach Wierenski's making. It's actually slightly cheaper than what Zach Wierenski's making. I like Zach Wierenski. I like Charlie McAvoy a heck of a lot more. Um, I mean, God, and again, like you compare it to the to the Seth Jones contract, and granted, McAvoy's younger, but you look at some of these other deals that were signed. The only deal that. I feel like could make this frustrating for some people. I mentioned the Ryan Pollock deal. It's a little bit different. It would be someone like Kale McCarr, you know, signing six years, nine million. I, I can see why someone like McCarr getting that money um, would frustrate some Bruins fans. And now I know Rangers fans are freaking out because they're like, oh my God, what is Adam Fox going to sign for? Because now you really don't know. It looked like McCarr might drive down the price. And then all of a sudden, here's the McAvoy deal. But for me, a million, even two million is not that big of a deal. It's worth if the it means extra keep, years, man. If, if, yeah, exactly. You get the extra years, yeah. and if it means keeping Charlie McAvoy on the roster, it is worth it. Mm -hmm. Again, not a distraction. They can fully focus on this year. And yes, there is still going to be some distractions ahead that goes for every team. It's the final year of Bergeron's deal. And yeah, let's let's be honest. I mean, we are very very close to uh, a closed chapter in Bruins history. David Krejci is gone. Bergeron is thirty six, and in the last year of his deal, uh, and Brad Marchand's getting close to the twilight. He's thirty three. He's got three years left after this year. But you talk about how the Bruins are set up. You have your superstar forward of the future in David Pasternak. Granted, after next year, he'll need a new deal, and he's a UFA. It's a little bit concerning. He's 25 now. I would imagine he would stay. If he doesn't, okay, that's a problem we'll we'll jump to. Like, I'm not going to full Toronto this and be like, well, Austin Matthews might go to Arizona in six years. Let's freak out. Like, sorry, Endo, no offense. No, um, we're, we're idiots. We're, it's, a, it's a boomer franchise. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a boomer fan base who are all mad because uh, small, small boys are – getting contract payments that are bigger than the what they've made in their entire life. So, yeah. 
Fair enough. To that point, before I turn it over to your guy, uh, you know, your takes on this, you know, if Pasternak ends up signing, they have their star forward for the next six to eight years, and that's fantastic. They already have their star defenseman now in Charlie McAvoy to lead this blue line, and I mean, again, he's twenty three and he's already this good. You know, if you want to discount analytics, whatever. But I mean, there's very few people in the analytics community that you won't hear say that Charlie McAvoy is one of the best, if not the best, five-on-five defensemen in the National Hockey League already. And now what's he going to do when he has more power play time? What's he going to do? I'm excited to find out. But they have Carlos signed now as well long-term. He's 24. And then even the goaltending situation, I mean, the Bruins don't play their home opener until tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, but Jeremy Swayman's going to be the starter for that game, even though they just signed Linus Allmark to a $5 million four-year deal. Uh. Um, and it's because they're giving Jeremy Swayman every opportunity, and they're giving Allmark opportunities to settle in as well. But as as scared as some people are about what this next era could be, since we're very, very close to it, again, you talk about the guys that are left from 2011, and it's it's Bergeron and Marshawn at the moment. That's it, unless Tuka Rask comes back. And yeah, it's, that's a scary thought, but... Getting this McAvoy deal done takes so, so much pressure away, and I'm very, very happy about it. I think I think Pasta will resign, um, especially now with McAvoy locked in. And just what, what I've heard out of, you know, Pasta in the past, you know, the quotes about how he doesn't play this game for money, different stuff like that. Like, he might even be willing to be one of those guys taking a team-friendly deal sticking along with the Bruins, which he already kind of did on that. What was he making like six mil for those fears? God damn that. Was he worth yeah. that? And beyond might even take something similar. May only be seeing him taking like eight mil or something when his, he's getting resigned, which in a year or two, whenever he's up seven, eight mil, I mean, that's going to be an absolute steal for him considering, you know, that's a banish ad contract and other comparables around the league. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the only reason I can, way I can see him maybe not doing that is if he doesn't believe Boston is going to be a competitive team, um, that's a risk that you could take, and that is a possible reality that you might have to face. I'm kind of worried about the middle of the ice for the Bruins. You got uh, Studnicka kid, and I don't really know what else that you guys uh, really have coming up uh, You know, on the forward end of things. So I'd say that's the mm-hmm. one concern. But, I mean, yeah, you, you locked in one piece – just kind of you know take take a victory lap and then go from there victory laps uh for you know players like that don't come around too often so definitely celebrate yeah big fan of the idea of players taking cheaper contracts out of the not because they don't think they deserve it out of the fact that they want to build around a team and this is going to def that's definitely going to be a negotiation point um, when it comes to getting that contract resigned, and like you said, they don't—they might not have any prospects or any notable prospects. Uh, as to mine, as a casual fan of, of NHL, we might not know any, but Tugi might know a bunch of them because he is like a—that is his team, uh, yeah. for example. Uh, I think um, I think it's a—it's—it's—it's it's a, going it's a, to be a weird uh, one two years. I'm also really concerned about Tuka Rask and what's going on with that. Is it—is he just taking time off to the just to? rest and everything he had he had surgery so he's not expected to be back until january okay um he hasn't committed to a contract yet he's basically said the presumption is that he will come back uh, to boston but again we don't 
Uh, we don't know with certainty. Okay. But yeah, because I'm just that's why Linus Hallmark was signed as a as a safety net. Okay. Yeah, because I'm just looking at their cap space right now. They have 1.294 left as, as a projected cap space uh, from cap friendly as of right now. And for example, if he were to come back today, would he sign for 1.2? I'm not really sure. Not today, but mid season, yeah. I, I definitely think he would. Um, yeah. That's what the majority of teams would be able to afford, mm-hmm. right? Is Tuka Rask comes back on a dirt cheap deal. Like, if he wanted to go out for money, he would have gone out for money and signed somewhere. Yeah. yeah. There, there would have been a team willing to give him money for a two to three year term and say, yeah, when you're healthy, go ahead. He could have gotten money from an Arizona. Oh, like, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Arizona running Carter Hutton. If Tuka Rask cared about money in term, he would have signed with a team like the Arizona Coyotes this offseason. Yeah. So that's why, uh, even if he doesn't come back to Boston, I'm confident he'll play. And. Look, at the end of the day, if he says, well, shit, Allmark and Swayman are both playing well, there's really not a spot in Boston for me to play, maybe I do go sign up uh, with a competitor or with a, a contender that doesn't necessarily have as good of a one-two punch. I could see that happening, and to be honest, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah. Uh, end of the day, though, too, it could be a situation where he signs back in Boston because maybe you don't want to... You know, one aspect I don't think a lot of people consider often is the family aspect, right? Like, if you consider this in January, uh, I'm pretty sure his kids are of age to be in school. Right. Do you want to disrupt where his kids go to school? Probably not. So then, okay, what if I go sign in Colorado, but then I'm away from my family for six months again? And is he going to want to do that when there was the situation with him in the bubble? Yeah. Where it's, oh, hey, my daughter's in the hospital. I'm out. Bye. And he went. Because... They are shows, obviously, like family first, and he has his priorities straight. So I don't know what he's going to do, but I want him to do what's best for him. In terms of prospects, though, to that point, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit barren for the Bruins right now, and that's to be expected, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been a team that's been in contention uh, really for the past five to six years, like if not a little bit longer. The last time they weren't in contention, it was very similar to the Sharks, where the Sharks had that one down year, and what they ended up getting was a Timo Meyer or Tomas Hurdle in the first round. Yeah, Tomas Hurdle Meyer, got that like 17th overall in a year. Yeah, yeah. so th- they had the one down year with Timo Meyer. They bounced back, and their competitors uh, and real contenders for a couple of years, and then obviously the last couple of years have been womp, womp. what they are. Yeah. <laughs> but for the Bruins, right, it's like obviously it's going to be tough to draft certain people, and I mean, yeah, the, the two that stand out, Above all else, it's Jack Stadnicka, who's down in the AHL, because honestly, it's a similar situation to uh, Alex Beret-Boulet in Tampa, where it's, look, this guy in a fourth-line role is not, that's not getting the best out of him. The only difference is with Beret-Boulet, Tampa couldn't send him down. The Bruins had the ability to send down Stud because he's 22. That's the difference. Otherwise, you know, hey, a spot opens up in the top six, he'll be back. And then they drafted Fabian LaSalle. Uh, 21st overall this year. And a lot of people really, really wanted him to make the Bruins and thought that he could have. And honestly, it's a little bit surprising uh, that he wasn't given the shot to make it. Uh, Jury's out on this guy. He was 21st overall. You know, different takes on what his ceiling actually is. But yeah, aside from those two, there's, there's not a ton there. So to wrap it up, the idea of Pasternak staying... It could be contingent on how he views the next couple of years for the Bruins because yeah, there is there you know, there's obviously a chance if if Bergeron goes that they could take a little bit of a step back. But Pasternak's seen it himself how quickly things can turn around uh, for a team because his arrival was all it took. Now 
you could argue, oh, well, they had Bergeron and Marshawn there already. Now the argument is, oh, well, look how quick it can turn around. You have Pasternak there, and Charlie McAvoy is running the blue line. So, bottom line, I love the deal. And um, unlike other fan bases, I, I'm at least, or other fans, really, I'm, I'm good at being like, okay, Pasternak deal, that's tomorrow's problem. For now, I'm celebrating the McAvoy deal for sure. Yep. Take your battles. <laughs> so to wrap up this show then we just have a couple of other uh random tidbits that could lead the conversation here um you know just notable things over the first couple of days of the regular season um including some notable goals i mean we talked about what might happen with the rookie race mason mctavish made the ducks and scored in his first career game so that's a name to keep an eye out on if he's going to be able to work with trevor zegras quite well could very well happen. Uh, Brian Boyle scored in his first game as a member of the Penguins. And um, boys, for me, there are two guys that come to mind from the Masterton, and it's Brian Boyle and Jonathan Drouin, yeah. uh, both of whom already have goals so far this season, but both are fantastic stories. Um, I Yeah, I was... Now they bring those up, those are good ones. Uh, when we were doing the awards thing, I actually had one. We didn't get to the Masterton, but I have one in mind that I think could be a thing if he does come back, and that's Carey Price for me. Yeah, uh, I think is also maybe has to be that. That's if you know, of course, that he he does indeed come back, and you know, once again, we wish him and his family the best. But yeah, I mean, Brian Boyle, that's so awesome. PTO signs. Didn't he sign the day of the game or something? Yeah, so. the day yeah. of the game, and then scores. That's sick. That's just. I mean, how can you not be romantic about hockey? That's just incredible. Absolutely. I- in terms of other things as well, did you guys see the Panthers-Penguins game where Aaron Ekblad scored as there was an eight-man pile-up? <laughs> I Pittsburgh's didn't know. Goalie. <laughs> One of the most ridiculous clips I've ever seen, but a great goal uh, for Aaron Ekblad. <laughs> uh, Sin, I want your thoughts on this in particular because it's a California team. Uh, Anze Kopitar became the first NHLer with three goals and five points in the season opener since 1986 when Toronto Maple Leaf forward Tom Fergus did the same thing. Who the hell is Tom Fergus? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the token Leaf fan. He was Hold a Maple on. Leaf. <laughs> he was a Leaf. Clearly. He was a Boomers are mad at you again, Endo. Here you go. He doesn't know Tom <laughs> Fergus is young people yeah he was also a bruins traffic which is the best part <laughs> um god he was he was phil kessel before phil kessel he wasn't but uh <laughs> 581 game. how as as endo does his research on tom fergus sin Fergus. how frustrating is it to have anze kopitar in your division i imagine it's a similar level of frustration that people have about being in the same division as patrice bergeron yeah i mean he's he's an incredible he's an incredible player um I mean, he's offensively gifted as hell. He's insane. He's insanely defensive, and most importantly, he is incredible on the face-off dot. And that's been horrible to have to go against for the past few years. Kind of made easier with the fact that the Kings haven't been too very uh, very good. But this is about the time where the Kings are gonna start working their way back into the playoff conversation and have yeah, Kopitar being as good as he is. But I mean, I I mean. Y- y- we heard from last week. I mean, that guy is my, my pick to win the Selkie. He goes out, gets a bunch of offense, but I still think, yeah, you know, he's, he's, it's, people are going to remember just how good Kopitar is now that the Kings are starting to work their way back up. 
and as well, Sin, for you here, because this one affects both of us. We'll talk about that Seattle-Vegas opener. Uh, two really notable moments there. Um, but first, for, for Sin, Ryan Donato scored the first goal in Seattle Kraken history of because, of course, he did. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all right. He'll, he'll get a few more, and then he'll, he won't score for 20 games. Enjoy that, Seattle. But watch him, you know kick me in the teeth right there and get like a 20 goal season and just be he's gonna be there william carlson oh, just if that happens yeah. the sharks fans are gonna be uh, right back on the fire doug wilson train i'm gonna and I'm, I'm just i'm just tired i'm so tired of trying to uh tell them that that's not the issue it's like you look around at the other gms man you do not want to fire someone as good as doug wilson when you got the tippets and the Shirelli's <laughs> running around wrecking teams, but God. oh, we'll see. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about this next point too. I forgot. Yeah. So the other notable moment from that game was a Chandler Stevenson goal that was reviewed for a distinct kicking motion, and they called it a good goal when it had to be one of the most obvious kicks I've ever seen. And Endo, I want you to start off this topic here because there was a similar incident in last night's Leafs-Sens game where it looked like a puck was kicked in, and uh, yeah, they didn't review it. They just said, nope, good goal, play on. So we're already kind of seeing some inconsistency uh, with with kicked-in goals. I-, I could turn it over to Sin first if you want because I know Sin has a take on... Uh, Maybe a little bit of Vegas bias uh, chipping in here with this kicked in goal that, that absolutely stood. I won't go too. I won't go full tin foil, but yeah, it's it's kind of getting ridiculous what we're seeing. Again, correlation does not equal causation. But welcome to the NHL, Seattle. First game, you get a BS call that actually gets reviewed and it goes against you. So that's uh, yeah, get used to it because that that that's going to happen quite a bit. I, I I don't get it. I mean, yeah, it's the my only reasoning is like it's because he hit it with the side of his foot, but it's not like he just angled his goddamn skate. He literally kicks out with his foot. I don't care if it's a kick front to back or, or like, you know, heel to toe or whatever. His, his toes off the ice. He kicks towards the puck. And with all the review in the world, plenty of angles. Yeah. They still say, yeah, good goal. And it ends up being the game winner. And that has happened so, so many times when it comes to when it comes to Vegas. And I it's it's get, getting kind of odd. I, I don't know. Maybe it's again, I don't know, some bias there and, and obviously having to hate them because of the whole white rivalry. But I mean, that's just egregious, in my opinion, that cannot happen. Yeah, so I'm looking at and, the, uh, the the Sens, the Leafs one right now. Uh, so I'm going to better like look at it. Respectively, so the pass goes over the tyranny. Tyranny hits it with his foot. Looks like it hits him with his uh, hits. It looks like he's gonna hit it with his stick. Hits it with his foot instead. My opinion on the kicking motion rule is that if your knee has to flex for you to move that puck into the net or to make contact with your foot to the puck, that is that should definitely not be a goal. I believe you should be able to move your your ankle or anything or keep your your skate on the ice, and that should constitute as a good goal. As as a goaltender myself, I think that's that's usually how I see it. I've seen it called like unfairly, like how it's been over here. But I feel like the, I'm not sure what, what how distinct it is in the rule book. But I feel like that's the general consensus: is that if your foot, if your skate leaves the ice at any given moment to try and angle it, besides like 
moving it like so like here like this like that i find that's fine like if this is like, my foot's on the ice like this is fine ever visually my hands up and i'm moving left and right uh that's fine but at the moment that your foot leaves the ice i think it should be considered no goal that's kicking motion especially if it moves towards the puck in any yeah. way even even if it's not in front of it like like uh, yeah I just, it's kind of weird how it's like a kick has to be from front to back i'm like no it doesn't man like watch soccer those those dudes kick it however the hell they want <laughs> yeah right like even the idea of shooting a puck in hockey a snapshot exists mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily involve pulling back to push it forward it's just where it is and flick of the wrist send yeah. the puck yeah. like now would it not be easier and i want your take on this would it where do you guys stand on the debate of a puck being in off a skate blade for any reason, no goal. Because the idea of of the whole kicking motion, now look, I don't necessarily agree with that logic either, because then you get into the conversation of, oh, well, what if it goes off an elbow or somebody's ass while they're in front of goal? But it is it is interesting because we're in a moment right now of so many new eyes on the sport, and then you have an incident like this, and you can only imagine the confusion for someone who's brand new to this when there's such a debate. Like, I don't think Endo made, like, an incoherent point. I thought he was pretty straightforward and to the point as much as you can be. And even then, if you were saying that to someone who doesn't know hockey, I'm pretty sure the, re- the, the response would be, uh-huh. Like, it's just... <laughs> it's just... It's one of those things about hockey where it's just... It's so frustrating that we still seemingly haven't gotten to a point where it's just black and white, good goal, no goal. And it, I think it can only hurt in a way, you know, the, uh, you know, potential popularity growth of the sport, because there's so many things like that. And it's similar to, I know you guys aren't the biggest soccer fans in the world, but you know, VAR, you know, video assistant referee, which has gone on mainly for the premier league. And, you know, biggest conversation there has been, how much damage has this done to the sport? Because you've seen so many moments of, hey, we're celebrating a goal, and it got called back. It's just, what you know, it reminds, I, I just, I, I want this to be easier. It reminds me of baseball. And one of the biggest things about baseball is that if you're a pitcher, the whole outcome of the game is basically determined on human error. If a umpire has a bigger strike zone... Especially if you're the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, Jeez. did they get you off. That was wow. oh horrific. Are, are we going to talk about that? Do you want to just quickly touch on that a little bit? If or? you got a take on it, go ahead. That's my take. They got job. They might have lost anyway, but yeah. woof. Just when it's, when it's something like that, like a check swing, like that, I, I don't think you call that. I personally don't think you, you, you let that go. Because even on review... Like it was nowhere near the play, and I'm not. I don't know what the exact rules for um, reviews are. If you can call for a review on a play like that, I'm not really too sure. But that was that was disgusting to have to have a season end like that is I I want to say unheard of. Uh, it's definitely <laughs> no. wild. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely I not heard unheard of, of in the world of sports, especially yeah. it's seemingly recently, but. You can do like, all right, well, are, are refs getting worse? Are the, are the games getting too fast? Or is there just so many more eyes on every single situation with social media, high-def video, 4K? It's, you know, cameras all over the place. Uh, it's 
I mean, the biggest issue that I can think of was that with that Stanley Cup with the, with the Buffalo situation with that kick and or whatever. And now it's like it seems to be happening all over the shop. Well, because we got eyes on it, but that could be a good thing. It points out things. However, you got the old school crowd in the league who doesn't want to look back and they're going to defend people to the death instead of, per, you know, unless, you know, of course, uh, when they had that one year where they kept kicking refs out of the playoffs for the NHL, but never, <laughs> never, never if they got a call right for certain teams. Right. So, all right, maybe full tinfoil did come out, but anyway, tinfoil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the sin. Hey, hey, let's go. Well, we have an episode title. Way to go, Enda. Way to return. Way to return to the show. Good stuff. I have my moment. Um, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll leave the blank check in the mail. It's fine. Blank so for a other, while. <laughs> other little topics here for the hell of it. Sin mentioned the uh, the Buffalo Sabers. We might as well mention them as well. Um. I've watched the beginning of their game, and people knew attendance was going to be kind of ugly. Uh, nearly 10,000 season ticket holders dropped out, and they announced the attendance for their home opener, which they won, by the way. They dominated Montreal. They announced their attendance at 8,467. I get the idea that there's so much negativity around this fan base, and rightfully so. But my God, <laughs> Dude, it's I, I I equated it on Twitter to this. I don't know if I had ever seen that building that empty for a season opener. I I don't think that I have. And you're talking about a team that. In the year they tanked for um, for McDavid, of course it was the the McEichel year. Yeah. McDavid and Jack Eichel both in the draft. I looked it up. At home that year, they averaged eighteen thousand five hundred and eighty people. Apparently, though, that could be an inflated number. It's through ESPN's attendance report, but they apparently averaged close to a sellout every night. And of course, a large part of that would be season tickets. The point being. That year where they were tragic, they still apparently had 10,000 more people on average in that building than what we saw last night. Now, there may be COVID restrictions that I'm not aware of, and if that is the case, that's all well and good. But the point is, I don't know if it's ever, if there's ever been like a sense of how depressed that fan base is, because that building looked like what a lot of people laugh at like Florida or Arizona for. Yeah. Like if their building looked like that, then you know what the what the response would be on Twitter and Reddit from people. It it was the, they won though too, <laughs> and they played a really good game and they played really hard. Probably like the most I saw some people on Twitter saying that's the most effort I've seen them give in a long long time. Buffalo is going to be a really interesting team to watch because the fans don't have much to really root for because you still have the Jack Eichel situation looming overhead. But it was a very very interesting uh, environment to uh, to look at. Yeah, completely. I want to make a quick comparison, too, because I love making comparisons uh, to my Toronto sports teams. So uh, where the Marlies play in Toronto, uh, Rico Coliseum, which is now Coca-Cola Coliseum, I still call it the Rico, their seating uh, for like a sold-out like venue is 7,851. You had basically the almost the equivalency of an AHL team. Like being sold out inside of arena to watch a hockey game for an NHL team. That's 
that's ridiculous. That's <laughs> like I said earlier, that's unheard of. Yeah, and to touch on the point with perhaps the restrictions, Buffalo being where it is, I wonder how many of their fans are maybe living in Canada mm-hmm. and who would maybe that cross was... the border to get to the games. I, that might have something to yeah. do with it, but also, I mean, that's huge drop off on their t- seats and ticket holders. And also, they've got the bills. Right. So maybe some people are switching mm-hmm. their packages to, hey, well, let's go watch a, a team that's actually getting it together and not rebuilding for 10 to 15 years. And fucking maybe ownership needs this kick in the ass. But I mean, I just, I don't get it. Like they've the Pagulas when they came in, they tried to do so much. You know, they're hiring all these like state of the art people trying to get state of the art facilities. But it's just the, the product on the ice never pans out. It's it's sad to see because there's devoted Sabre fans out there. But it's just kind of a uh, kind of a, a shocker for ownership and just a reality that they might have to face this year with how things have been handled completely agree uh you can't uh like i say you can't polish a third you can bring in as many things in the infrastructure to make things look great but if the on ice product is not doing any good no one's going to want to watch yeah the columbus blue jackets absolutely dominated the arizona coyotes in their home opener their season opener for both teams eight to two the final score Elvis Merzlikens stopping 36 of 38 uh, while wearing uh, Kivy's number 80 on his back as well. It was uh, obviously an emotional pregame, and then they scored 20-some-odd seconds. Actually, 40 seconds here. I'm looking at it now. Uh, Tessier scored the opener for the Blue Jackets. They just absolutely, absolutely dominated that particular game. Uh, For the Blue Jackets, we talked about it. Likely to be a feel-good story all season long. For the Coyotes, uh, as Deke Slayer put it, good friend of the show, we're expecting pain, and pain was delivered uh, in that season opener. Only 81 more games to go for you Yotes fans, and hopefully the price is right by the end of it. Uh, And again, I'll I'll wrap up these last two points, and if you guys have any takes on those three instances, let me know. Uh, Colorado kicked the shit out of Chicago in their season opener. Jack Johnson <laughs> scored an unbelievable goal. Bowen Byram also scored his first career goal. And in the Rangers-Caps game, uh, Ovi took sole possession of fifth all-time on the NHL goal scorers list, passing one Mr. Marcel Dion. And Hendrix LaPierre scored his first career NHL goal uh, alongside Ovechkin, who was his favorite player growing up. As Sin said, how can you not be romantic about hockey? And to kind of build on that, I really, really, really hope Ovechkin can top get Gretzky's goal record. It's just such, it'd be so massive for the sport um, just to have that thing be broken. And yeah, I mean, maybe some old Canadians are getting all bent out of shape and angry at the fact, but like records are meant to be broken eventually. The game evolves, new players step in, especially these players coming from Europe kind of, Final nail in the coffin to that Don Cherry mentality of Europeans are bad, just not as good as Canadians that are just in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, I hope he does it. Sucks about all the lockouts and everything else that's gone on now. COVID, too. I mean, he could be so, so close if not for all that yeah. stuff. The ridiculous thing is he could still break it. Just, I think it'll be ridiculous. the biggest conversation. Like, it'll, it'll usurp who was better, Gretzky, Lemieux, mm-hmm. etc., It'll be the conversation, you know, would Ovi have broken the record had it not been for lockouts? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. I'm sorry. If he doesn't break the record, it, it's not uh, due to a lack of effort on his own. I think it would have been, you know, uh, different circumstances, whether it be lockouts, whether it be a pandemic, 
uh, that really kind of stood in his way of being able to break that for sure. Yeah, especially the one in uh, was it 2013 where they were locked out to like half the season. Mm-hmm. Or just yeah. 05, 06 when they just didn't play a fucking season. <laughs> yeah, that one. 04, 05, yeah, because that was... Yeah, 04, that was, 05, um, yeah. That was his draft year, yeah. Yeah. right? Like, he missed his entire rookie season. Yeah, he was the number one pick in 04. They didn't play that mm. year. So then he and Crosby were rookies in the same year. I mean, you're talking about... I, so let's see. He missed 04, 05. Uh, there was the half-season lockout, as Endo mentioned. And then you also have the the COVID mm-hmm. issue as well over the past you know year or so that certainly affected games as well. You remove those three factors. Where is he? Where is he to begin with? Uh, <laughs> where is he on this day? If it wasn't for that, because again, he is now. I, I do believe, yeah, fifth all time as I said What's in his? terms of yeah. the goal scoring. He is 732. Brett Hall is at 4 mm-hmm. at 741. He'd have more than Brett Hall. I think the And then 766 is Yarmir Yager. Those three factors, he has more goals than Yager. At the very least, he's third all time cuz he's at 732 now. Yager in third is at 766. He's scoring more than 34 goals. Mm-hmm. In that time, he, dude, how many goals did he score in his rookie year? Imagine if his rookie year was a season sooner. I'm looking at it right now. He scored 52 goals in his rookie year. Yeah, the crazy part. I mean, come on. Yeah, even if he only scored like in the year before, he might even be ahead of Gordy Howe, who's at 801. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he would easily, easily be in contention. And as Sid mentioned, he's still in contention now. It's outrageous. The crazy thing about that 12-13 season is that in 48 games, he still put up 56 points and 32 goals. If he had a full season, that'd be at least 50. Because the year before that, he had an off season. Uh, 38, then he had 32 in this season, then he had 51, then 53, then 50. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's he averages .61 goals per game, which is filthy to begin <laughs> with. Not, now, man. if we somehow did the math and say how many games has he theoretically missed, let's say a full 82 plus mm. two other parts of seasons, if you add in you know, eight, even, even let's say two full seasons that he's missed, we kind of go rough on that. Um, it comes out to an extra 100 goals approximately that he should have. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's unreal. And that puts him within probably two or three seasons of breaking Gretzky's goal record if he averages just about 30 goals per season, which he probably can until the day he retires with the shot that he has where he posts on the power play. Just unreal. And the fact of the matter is we're actually talking about it because he still could theoretically break it. It's just going to be a hell of a lot harder. Yeah, I mean... His, I'm looking, I had to look it up after you mentioned it. Um, Gordon Quan Hockey here, goals per game for Ovechkin is at a 611. Gretzky's at a 601. So he's already still ahead of that pace. Pavel Burrio was at a 623, just to remind you how good he was. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the argument, but the funny thing is, Ovi, you know, the talk of him going down as the greatest goal scorer of all time, uh, Ovi has a 611. There's one player at a 754. Mm. And another at a seven six two. One of them. Any guesses, boys, on who those top two are? Yeah, who was that guy? I think he was on B on the Islanders. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, ba ba. I'm not boss. Huh? Rudy? What? That's the first thing I Boss-y. thought of. Bossy, bossy, Mike Bossy, Mike Bossy. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is Mike Bossy with the seven six two. Do you know who's second behind him at a seven five four? God, I I remember looking at this and I can't. Remember. I've mentioned him in this show. 
Lemieux? No. Yes, yeah. Endo Mills. Let's go. So think about that. Mike Bossy and Mario Lemieux have that high of an average in terms of goals per game, but aren't typically considered in that conversation with uh, Ovi or Gretzky as yeah. the greatest goal scorers of all time. So put some respect on Mario Lemieux and Mike Bossy, two of the greatest players of all time who <laughs> already get plenty of respect. Yeah. Jesus, uh, It just shows the company uh, that Ovi is in. Uh, gentlemen, any other thoughts? Or are we about done here for this evening? I think we're all good. Yeah, I think we're I think we're 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 good. All right, to end the show, Endo, I need a I need a popcorn rating. How was it? The popcorn itself, or like the show? <laughs> like you want me to rate, rate rate the show as if like a brand of popcorn? Uh, like if I, I think if it's gonna be like a, <laughs> I was gonna how does do your it? mind work? Like popcorn, popcorn. Just fucking. I was just gonna say, how was the popcorn? Oh, I like being like. But also. If you want to rate, if you want to equate this show to a brand of popcorn, feel free. Please do. I only know like two. What, what, are, the, what are the two <laughs> that you know, so that way I can cross-reference? Orville Redenbacher and whatever the hell I used to microwave as a kid. I don't even fucking know. It's a blue bag. Who cares? It's popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my kind of man right there. Um, um, I think the show so far has been like a nice... pop. Pop secret or act? <laughs> oh my, oh my God! I used to have acts so much as a kid; it was ridiculous. Um, I mean, like act, act is like the discount kind of like you you kind of look into like save money. You don't want to spend too much. You want to buy a bag of chips with it as well, so you grab act. Uh, Orville is like you're gonna go for the real deal. But then apparently, if you're in God fucking Toronto, excuse my language. Uh, that's seal in French, by the way. It's a it's a quick little French lesson for today. Fuck P. Fuck, P-H-O-Q-U-E is seal in French. That's your lesson for today. Anyway, we're back on to a tangent. If um, So is Sinfoil the title, or is that the title of the show? I don't know if I can get away with that. It's, on Spotify, it's seal we might you. have to try. Like, you know, just say fuck you. It's P-H-O-Q-U-E-U. There you go. See? It's fine. I give this show a jolly time out of ten. Just, okay, you, you know what? This, this Cineplex popcorn is pretty good. I think this podcast was pretty good today. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's also pretty good. Sin, tell them. Tell them what's pretty good. You guys can't put me on the spot to do ad reads yet on, like, my second major <laughs> show. I got to do some pra- – I got to have cliff notes in front of me. But, all right, fine. This show brought to you by Manscaped. There you go. When you want to uh, do a little, uh, you know, clean up work around uh, the sensitive areas of your body, perhaps even just get some extra stuff on your face. Manscaped is the place for you. Use code Tuki at checkout for 20% off. Is that- Manscaped, the, the Orville Redenbacher <laughs> of male grooming. There we go. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next week for whatever the hell this show is turning into, but I am excited. Stay tuned for Endo's popcorn rating of the week, our, our new segment. Oh, God. See you all next week. Tookie24 on Twitter, at EndoMills, at SinFTWProd. Find them both on Twitch. Find them both on YouTube. We'll see you next week. This needs more butter. Good night and go Bruins. This needs more butter, I think.